Hello there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Today, I'm chatting with a former Irish rugby international who's now chairperson of Sport Ireland's committee tasked with nurturing and developing women in sport. It's a pleasure to welcome Lynn Cantwell. And Lynn, before we reflect on the glory days of the Grand Slam and beating the All Blacks, how did you first get involved in playing rugby? Because really, it has only developed in the last 15, 20 years and it was your own team that brought it into the headlines. Yeah, it does. Like, a lot of it's chance. Um, I I went to, I, I did athletics. Like, I was, uh, as a teenager, I just, I did athletics for Fingalians Athletics Club in Dublin and I loved my running, absolutely loved my running and, and went to UL and, and, and did athletics down there. And just at the end of that year, I kind of fell out of love with athletics and I think it just came to a nat- natural end and I did sports science um, and Sarah Keane, Mossy Keane's daughter, actually, she was my best friend in, in college and she played a bit of rugby at that time. Uh, rugby was only starting off at clubs and there was a there was a college team. So I tried it out there and I was I was fast and it was 10 ten aside rugby. And um, so I kind of scored lots of tries. And at the time, the, the Irish coach happened to be based in UL and it was foot and mouth actually it was the year of the foot and mouth so the Six Nations was cancelled um, so they had some camps up in Galway just to kind of put in some time and I was invited up there just as a complete rookie like I was only playing probably about seven months and, and got involved there so I like it all a little, little, little bit of chance but, but I suppose the thing about rugby in Limerick is is it just it doesn't it doesn't care about gender or anything it's just like great look let's all try and play as much rugby as possible so that was a little bit of a little bit of luck and a little bit of chance but it kind of took off from there and you began playing with Munster initially yep yeah so I played with Munster we had a really good strong core team that was the, the days of Fiona Steed and Patrick Kelly Sarah Jane Belton Joy Neville you know all of that back back in those earlier days um and then from an Irish point of view, like we, I played with Ireland, we, we lost, like I never won a game for six years of, of playing with Ireland uh, through the Six Nations. And, uh, and then we just started to win our first game. We, we beat Spain, it was Spain at the time and now it's Italy, um, but the Spain were in Six Nations at that time. We beat them for the first time, beat Scotland for the first time, beat Wales for the first time, all kind of in consecutive years and then kind of culminated in 2013 when we won all of the teams. We beat all of the teams and obviously won the Grand Slam. So you you went six years without winning a game. I mean, some of those must have been heavy beatings. Yeah, yeah, completely. Like, I think my first cap was 79-0 against England and up in Worcester um, on away game. And there was plenty of stonkins, Des, to be honest, as well. The stonkins, they were they were all nil points, you know. So we, we didn't, we regularly, um, I, at the time we used to play down in Thoman Park and regularly the scoreline would be, you know, 3-6 or 3-9 or, you know, we having, we getting like a couple of kicks. So, yeah, like bad times, like big learning curve. We were learning lots and obviously the, there was no support or anything in, in those days. So you're just kind of doing it off your own back. But we loved it. You know, we were down in UL and we we're having a great old crack. And then it just started to build a bit of momentum. You know, the first year we beat 
Spain for the first time in Spain were in the Six Nations at that time instead of Italy and obviously now it's Italy for the last kind of five years five six years um, and then we beat Scotland the next time then Wales the next time and then France and then England obviously we, we beat all of the teams then in 2013 uh, to win the Grand Slam um, but it took it took years in the making that's for sure When you were losing 79-0 the morale would still be okay Yeah it was funny like when I think back of it at the time like sport was very different back then and there were no expectations like I think it would be an awful lot tougher to be doing that right now and so there's kind of a a funny dynamic there in that although we you want women's sport to have more of a platform and more resources etc so that they can be better and at the same time we we hadn't anything back then at all and and although we didn't get anywhere because we we were building very very slowly it did give you a platform to make a hell of a lot of mistakes and to to learn so much about your trade but as i said like we were coming from a very very low base and i think that a lot of people were playing with the national team at that stage and i and i talk about myself when I say this and learning our trade as we were playing with the national team because there was only you know a handful of of rugby players in Ireland at that time Um, and as a result of it yeah like we lost all the time um, but it obviously took that amount of time to to grow towards understanding what we were doing properly and, and pulling properly together to be playing some good style of rugby and then each year that passed by kind of picking off one team at a time to, to build up to the to the Grand Slam. And and games live on TV was a hell of a transformation. But and we'll chat about that presently, Lynn Cantwell. But your first musical choice goes back to your childhood. So this whole process is very interesting. I'm sure everybody everybody says that. And it's a real kind of it's a real um minefield when you start thinking about well like what what, what songs are obviously pertinent I suppose to me and um, but one one that jumped out for me straight away was was a song called things are going to get easier and it's it's really random the context is very very random but I think the timing of it is is what makes it important to me and it's it's back at like an epic time as a kid when we lived in North County Dublin in fairly countryside and I'm the youngest of three and, and during the summer times me and my sister used to practically live up in my auntie and uncle's house literally like just a mile up the road to play with, with my cousin so they had a family of, of six and we were three and we all kind of matched off in ages you know so like every Saturday a fella with a with a boot full of videos used to drop by and my uncle Georgie would, would get us some videos from the back of the boot of his car I won't say where those videos came from um, and the videos were all knockoffs and often the reception was terrible but we knew no different and at like at 10 at 9 or 10 it was probably just the first exposure I was I was getting to the outside world and I think there's a piece of that for me just that kind of moving into just seeing the outside world which is something that is really memorable like I remember the movie was Boys in the Hood and it was about Cuba Gooding Jr and he was a young black teenager and it was very clever and his dad was wise a man trying to stir him away from bad choices of drugs and all of that stuff um, that his friends were taking and at the same stage during the movie his his friend gets shot and he dies and, and it's all very devastating um, and this song kind of reflects the, the, the hope afterwards, I suppose, that, that things are going to get easier. And although it's kind of a relatively sad story, but I think why I remember it so vividly is, is I, I suppose it's such a, like I was at a stage where I was in such a loving and secure and innocent time in my life. Um, but it was one of those first exposures to like other versions of, of, of home life, I suppose, of, of kids' life and I think I think but knowing what I know now about me, 
um, I think I see like why it affected me and, and the idea kids growing up in disadvantaged neighborhoods and how unfair life can be and how unfair I think that is. And I think things, um, I like things to be equal and I don't like people to be treated unfairly. So I think that's why I like, I remember the song because of the time in my life, but I also think that's what it kind of really like stimulated in me, which, which is probably why I remember it. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Things are going to get easier. The choice of today's guest, former Irish rugby international Lynn Cantwell, part of the the Grand Slam Irish team. So after years of of uh, struggling internationally, um, Ireland win the Grand Slam, and for some reason, it gripped the the nation. What what was that reason? Do you think, Lynn? Look, Des, I suppose it's it's a Grand Slam is just such a huge achievement, um, for any senior team and you know the men obviously had only done it twice I think at that stage yeah. I think probably because it was such a, a, a big achievement a Grand Slam is such a big achievement and I suppose probably people the, our team was were on the radar of uh, like a, a bustling aspiring team an ambitious team that had talent and, and was um, making strides in, in the kind of international sporting world and like I think Ireland is just such a sports fanatic nation isn't it that it kind of clasps onto any any national team that's doing well so um so yeah i think that's probably what what grasped the nation and then building on that obviously building up into the next year when we we played new zealand the world cup um, the style of rugby that we're playing was really, really good, whereas obviously the Grand Slam, the game against Italy wasn't good. It was just like a gritty match to the end. But I think just the style of rugby that we were playing moving into 2014 when we um, beat New Zealand was just really great to watch. So I think that was probably another part of it. People just genuinely enjoyed watching it. And also in interviews, there were, there were quite a lot of characters in the team, weren't there? Yeah, there probably was. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's something that we we hold so dearly um, and it's definitely something I think is so important within a team is just difference in different types of people and respecting people's difference but coming together collectively to try and, and work towards a goal and that's something that we leverage that's something that Philip Doyle as a, as a coach was very good at he was very very good at providing direction but allowing us to have input and allowing us to have peer opinion um, which I think is a really, really strong sign in a coach and, and it definitely worked for us as a as a group of players. But you're right, like, you know, Fiona Cochrane and Joy Neville and um, Neve Briggs and Jenny Murphy, Sophie Spence, Ayla Egan, you know, you could go, Mazzy yeah. Riley, Tanya Rossell, you could go on for miles. It was just really lots of fun, funny characters, different characters that just makes it interesting, I suppose. Huh? And of course, you mentioned beating the All Blacks and you were the first Irish senior team to beat the All Blacks. The men hadn't done it at that stage. Yeah, that's it. And um, I think that's like a really sort of very, very proud of. Probably the Grand Slam was I'm most proud of because it just took so long to do it. Um, but obviously beating New Zealand and you know, it, it being the first national team or first senior team because the under-20s had beaten right. New Zealand at an under-20s level. Yeah, we're mega proud of that. And I suppose like you'd like to think that it did help the narrative around can an Irish team beat New Zealand. You know, it just helps the, the, the kind of mental psyche, the Irish mental psyche to, to know that, yeah, of course it is possible. Your second musical choice, Lynn, is from your college years in Limerick. Is it? Tell us about this. 
The jam, the jam. <laughs> okay, the jam, yeah, a town called Malice. This shifts onto the college years, there's a, um, another bloom and brilliant time in life. And I went to UL then Limerick. Again, I hadn't lived away from home before and arrived at Limerick doorstep, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Mm. Um, I did sports science. Um, but why I picked this one specifically actually comes back to sports science and, and one of our modules was sports administration which is supposed to be very very boring boring you know like how exciting can sports admin be even though now i totally see that it's completely crucial but jacinta o'brien was our lecturer she was an amazing intelligent passionate woman from the p and sports science department um, and really really passionate about irish sport but she made this module so fascinating when it when it shouldn't have been but just the idea of how important sport off the pitch is um, to, to on the pitch. And she introduced the idea of, of gender stereotyping and she told us the story of Billy Elliot. Um, and this is the soundtrack, one of the songs from the soundtrack of Billy Elliot. And obviously the story of Billy Elliot, he's the boy from industrial Britain who stumbled across ballet and loved it and whose dad was, was, was appalled because boys shouldn't dance, etc. And and this song is is in the soundtrack, and I think for me it portrays the idea of breaking out of norms. It's really liberal, and to me, which is something I massively value, and um, the idea of people being let do what makes them happy, not being kind of confined by by stereotypes or society norms. Um, and I suppose the the comparison is 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 you know women boxing or women um, playing rugby or something. But I think. The more Billy Elliot's and Jacinda O'Brien's that are in the world, the better place it will be. So, so that's why I picked this song. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's a town called Malice from the Jam, the choice of today's guest, former Irish rugby international Lynn Cantwell. And interesting the impact that your lecturer, Jacinta O'Brien, had on you in terms of you know, gender recognition and the stereotyping, etc. Because now you're you have a very important role for Sport Ireland in reflecting and nurturing women in sport in Ireland. Now I know there's a there's a lot to that, but but the role of women in sport in Ireland and its visibility has increased hugely, hasn't it, in recent years? Yeah, it definitely has, um, Des, and and the, the the women in sport community and the sports community in Ireland is investing and has been investing in that for a long, long time across the board, you know, yes, at Sport Ireland level, but also, you know, individual sports levels at a media level, you know, all of the work that Ivana Quillen and Jackie Hurley and Lane Buckley and Marie Crow, all of them are contributing lots to trying to increase the visibility of women's sports. So that's been happening for years and years and years. Um, but I suppose what we're trying to do in 2018, Sport Ireland commissioned a body of research to try and truly explore what's the the landscape of women in sport what are the blockers and barriers and to try and interpret like what do we need to do to try and change this and they came up with a policy at the start of last year and focusing on 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 some key areas them being like leadership and governances which is all about you know board level um board level balance uh coaching refereeing officiating participation and visibility so I suppose they saw them as the key areas that we need to influence to try and fill a million gaps in those areas to try and put women in all roles in sports in at a better position and to try and create better just gender balance across all roles in sports 
Um, and, and that's what the policy that we're kind of tasked with, with undertaking. So Nora Stapleson is our lead. And she's a full-time employee in Sport Ireland. So her daily work is, is, is working on that policy to try and ensure that it happens and spending lots and lots of times with all of the sports to see what she can do and help with to make sure that all of their programs are, are as strong as possible. And at a kind of top-down level, we're trying to ensure we get to a place in Ireland where we have gender balance in the boardroom, we have more female coaches out there and, and less blockers in the way of them getting jobs, um, more female referees and, and officials, um, and then just like more women women playing sport and more people actually just participating in physical activity. Um, even though the, the, the recent research that came out through COVID is that more women than ever are, are exercising and more even than men, which is a great sign. But yeah, look, that's what the, the policy mm. is, is trying to do. Um, and I, like, I think we definitely will achieve it. I say we'll achieve our part, but I know it's kind of a collective effort from the whole of Ireland to be to be moving towards uh, just better kind of gender balance, I suppose, in society, Des, but definitely reflected in sport too. Yeah, the one, the one area, Lynn, that where I don't see the numbers growing is in coaching, in that, that we have hugely successful, massive, wide breadth of women successful now in sport in teams and individually but generally the number of co- it's male coaches in so many cases isn't it yeah yeah that's a really good point and i suppose the the role that women play in in life i and and, and at home sometimes it it is harder for women volu- to volunteer as coaches because of like coaching is a, is a tough undertaking you know sure. it, it it involves a lot of evenings and weekend work etc so there's something there as a side level but i suppose what we're trying to do Des, is try to understand well like what is the reality for for women and women who are aspiring to be coaches and do we need to adjust how teams are coached um, to ensure that more women can be involved in it. And what I mean by that is just like, do you change the tr- times that we train or do you have a couple of coaches taking on a team as opposed to just one sole person? Because if that's, you know, a mum of three or something, can she do that, etc. And it's not to try and make exceptions for people. It's trying to just say, well, look, women coaches offer so much that is different as well to men's coaches and and if we didn't have them I think we'd be missing out from a sporting point of view so how do we just get more people involved in it women and men so that like sport in Ireland can be better so like it is challenging because there's obviously lots of perception things if you asked any football player or um, volleyball player or basketball player what do you envisage as a as a high performance coach? You know, they probably describe a, a a guy. So I suppose there's lots of narratives that we want to change, and lots of pathway issues as to why it's hard for for females to to move up the pathway from a coaching point of view too. Because we only have a couple in Ireland. You know, the likes of Hayley Harrison down in down in Limerick. Mm-hmm. You don't have many of them at all. So there's there's reasons why there's not many of them there, and we're just trying to change that. Okay, now your your third musical choice, Lynn. It's college days again. God, you loved your college days. <laughs> yeah, you know what? This crosses over with my college days, but more of it is kind of picked up now. Like uh, me as a, as a mum, the the Galway show of the from the Dubliners version, and so I I, I think I picked this days again. Yes, because of the songs that we used to sing in college, and 
all of the people that I met in college and the brilliant friends that I picked up and um, as a Dubliner, you know, it was good to, to get outside of Dublin, outside of the pale and oh, like I had just the best time ever. And so there's obviously the Galway girls would sing all their Galway songs and the Limerick girls sing their Limerick songs and the Cork girls sing their Cork, Cork songs. Mm. And the Galway show was brought to us by one of the one of the, the Galway girls. But I think for me, the reason why I picked it is because I, I find now I've got um, a little girl two and a half and a little a little boy and he's just five months now and I, I find that I sing to my little girl a lot and always have and probably I sang to her because I didn't know what else to do to try and stop her crying and it seemed to stop her crying so I just kept on singing and then the more and more you sing because you have to keep her quiet and not crying the more and more you're kind of trying to find songs that you know and before you knew it all of these songs kept on coming back into my mind um, and now that she's older, she loves hearing the songs and I just keep on singing to her and I don't have a very good voice. Believe me, I'm more of a singer in a group. But um, yeah, I think that's why I picked this one, because it's just very much a part of our life now. And I, I love that for the moment I, I live over London and I love that I can sing Irish songs to her and to my son as well. And, and they love it. It has an impact and it allows me to stay connected to um, all the gorgeous Irish songs that are out there too. Well, listen, continued success to you, Lynn, in your work in developing women in sports. You're doing a great job with it. And it's been lovely chatting with you. And we're going to play out with that song that your children now know off by heart, the Galway Shawl from the Dubliners. Lynn Cantwell, <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks, Des. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.